Good morning, Radiant Church. How are you guys doing this morning? That's good to hear. A couple weeks ago, we played this video bumper at the beginning of our Father's Day service, and I thought it was so fitting for what we're going to be talking about today. So thank you for watching it again for those of you who have seen it uh, once before. I hope your summer is going well for you. I think for our family, summer's flying by. Uh, I talked to Grandma Peggy last week. I think you reminded me that summer's half over. Thank you for that very pessimistic view of summer, uh, but we love you nonetheless. Uh, no, it's a good reminder. I hope your summer's going well. Ours is going well. Um, one of my favorite things about summer is Iowa summer thunderstorms. Anybody? Oh, I heard it. Oh, yeah. Got a couple nods out there. I always, when I talk about Iowa thunderstorms and my fascination and love with thunderstorms, there's always usually about two people in the camp that we're talking about. We're talking about one group of people where when the sirens go off, they go in the basement to watch what's going on on the news. And then there's another group of people that go outside on their front porch or their back porch <laughs> to, see, to see what God's up to, right? Now, I'm not here to tell you which group is practicing wisdom <laughs> and which is practicing foolishness, that's not the point of this conversation. But you could probably see it for yourself. Um, my family and I, we live here in Pleasant Hill. We live a couple blocks away from where the water tower is. You guys know where the water tower has, it's the big water tower, right? It says Pleasant Hill on it. There's a park in there and um, there's large power lines that cross through that, that park. And every once in a while, in a good summer thunderstorm, there's a lightning strike that happens. It either hits the uh, water tower, or it hits the power lines. And when you're that close to it, it fascinates me at how quickly the entire house just lights up. Every corner, every dark corner of my house just lights up in a flash. And I don't even have time to react to that flash when the crash of the thunder comes in. You know what I'm talking about? In a good thunderstorm, you can hear the thunder off to the distance and you have time to prepare. There is no time to prepare when the thunder crashes in. The, the picture frames on the wall start to, to rattle a bit. The windows start to rattle. You shake yourself and you can feel the very bones and the foundation of your house get shaken. And it's in those moments, and I like thunderstorms, I'm like, how close do I really want to be to God's power? Uh, am I really in a good spot right now? Am I in a safe place? Is this house going to stand? Is it built on a solid foundation? And every time I get a good thunderstorm, I think about that truth that we find at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount when he talks about a wise person builds their house on a rock and a foolish person builds their house on sand. And when the storms come, and they do come, the house that stands is the one that's rooted into the foundation of Jesus Christ. And I, I always force myself to kind of go through uh, the Sermon on the Mount every once in a while to, to get a good assessment of where am I in life. Am I measuring up? Is my life, is my house built on a solid foundation? Am I a wise person? I mean, if you ask myself, I'll tell you how wise I am. But when I peel back the layers, I oftentimes make a lot of foolish decisions in life. And I think it's only healthy to kind of take an assessment of where we are. So that's what we're going to do today uh, for the first part. And I think this is smart, too. I don't know. In the springtime, the city of Pleasant Hill and the other cities around, they, 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 they uh, blare the, the tornado sirens, right? They're testing them to make sure they work. If you listen to the radio, you'll hear the, in, the emergency response 
uh, dials go on the radio, and that usually afterwards they're like, this was only a test. Well, why are they doing that? They're testing the emergency systems to ensure that when a storm comes up, the systems that are in place are working. And they do that also so we understand what we need to do in case of a storm. That's what this is here for, too. So if you will, allow me. I'm going to be kind of in the Sermon on the Mount, like I said. That's found in Matthew 5 through 7. It's also found in Luke 6. And some of these questions that I come up with, there's many questions you can come up with, uh, but I'm going to ask six questions so you could check to see, how's your foundation? Do you have cracks in your foundation, a Boeing foundation? Do you have water in the basement? Is your foundation in a secure place to withstand a storm? Question number one, if I could have that, or I can read it, I have notes. This is what I'm calling today's sermon. I made it up. Foundations, the lies we believe and the truth we fail to embrace because we're going to see in a little bit if we have cracks, there's often a lot of pitfalls we go through to resecure or rebuild our lives. Question number one, I'm going to ask, does your life reflect the characteristics of the Beatitudes? When we open Matthew 5, Jesus is speaking on the Sermon of the Mount, and many of you who have grown up in church for a long time understand the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Does your life reflect the characteristics of the Beatitudes? And these aren't necessarily things that you just wake up one morning and you're like, I think I'm going to practice the Beatitudes. I heard at church we a good message on the Beatitudes. So on Monday, I'm going to practice being poor in spirit. And when I do that, I'm going to check it off my list because on Tuesday, I'm going to practice being meek. Because on Wednesday, I've got a full day of being hungry and thirsty for righteousness. That's not how this goes. These are very similar to the fruits of the spirit, right? The fruits of the spirits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These are great things to practice but does your life reflect the characteristics of being rooted in the spirit? Two different things. Second question I have for you, does your life reflect or show that you are positively and exclusively a follower of Jesus Christ? Now, in a situation like this morning, everyone's at church, of course we are. Of course our lives are showing that we're sold out for Jesus Christ. But what about this afternoon when you wake up from your Sunday nap? Does your life still reflect that you are exclusively and positively sold out for Jesus Christ? What about Monday, tomorrow when you go to work? Or Wednesday or Thursday when the week gets long and you lose your temper with a coworker or a family member? Next question. Is your faith more about following religious rules or following Jesus Christ. We can get so caught up in the rights and the wrongs and the rules that we miss Jesus altogether. Question number four, how do you treat others around you? Again, it's Sunday morning and it's probably pretty easy. We've woken up, we've said hi to our family and friends and shaken their hands and asked them how their day's going. But how do you treat those around you in your home? Your spouse? Your kids, if God's blessed you with them. The other people that God has blessed you with. How do you treat them behind closed doors? 
As I mentioned earlier, when the week gets long and it's Thursday, Friday, and your temper and your, your fuse is this long, how do you treat those around you? Better yet, how do you treat those who look different than you, act different than you, believe different religious beliefs, political beliefs, and identify differently than you? What do you say to them? More importantly, what do you say behind their back? Question number five, do you give? We know if we follow Jesus, Jesus gives. Jesus gave everything. Are you a giver of your time, your talent, your treasure? And then how do you give? Do you give out of obligation or the joy found in your heart? And the last question I asked is what's your prayer life like? Do you have a prayer life? Do you talk with God on a regular basis? And if you do, do you treat him with reverence that he deserves? Or if you were to be honest, he's less of a God and more like a genie and you just want your three wishes granted. Those are heavy questions, but those are six that I pulled out of the Sermon on the Mount where I'm like, where am I measuring up? How is my foundation? Do I have cracks in my foundation? Is my house, is, is my life ready to withstand a storm? And I don't bring this up to shame or, or, or guilt anybody into doing something they don't want to do, but I do think it's, it's important to use this as a warning and as a guide because the storms of life will come. If you're not already in one or going through one, there's one on the horizon. Here's your warning. It is my prayer this morning that you're, you're in a good season of life. There's not a storm on the horizon. My wife and I, we find ourselves in a pretty good season currently. But I don't know if you've watched the news when, when a hurricane or a natural disaster goes through a town and devastates a community. The news crews go in there and you see these people that have seen devastation firsthand and they have that look of disbelief on their face. We're going through a season right now where we've got people that we meet in our daily lives who have that same look. Because the storms, well, I'm getting emotional, I haven't even started. The storms of life were more than what they expected. They're finding that their foundation wasn't rooted on a rock at all. It was on sand. I pray that we heed this warning and build it on the rock and help others who need to rebuild their life. So as I go into this, when I look at my own situation, I do this assessment, like I said, once a year. I, when, I, when, I, when I listen to my wife, I listen to my kids, I listen to their friends, my friends, coworkers, I talk to my one. I listen to them through this lens of what is their life built upon? Where do they have gaps in their foundation? And oftentimes it forces us to reevaluate what our lives are built on, where we have gaps in our foundation and rebuild our lives. And I found recently in my circumstance and in my family and friends and coworkers and my one, there are four major pitfalls and lies that we believe. 
And I've put those on our fill-ins today. If you want to take notes and fill those in, I encourage you to do that so you can look at them through the week. See if, see if these apply to you or that you've seen them in your own lives or your friends' lives. But in our process of rebuilding our foundation, our lives, lie number one, we can compare ourselves to others. And it's okay to compare yourselves to others instead of God's word. That's a lie. And I don't think it's a lie we necessarily just jump on board with like, I'm gonna go compare myself to other people. No, I don't, I don't think that's it. I think we live in a culture that supports it ever since we were infants. Oftentimes, Jason will talk that we live in a consumeristic world and we were consumers from the moment we were born. We were indoctrinated to consume and we are marketed towards. And in marketing, if you've ever been in marketing or take marketing classes, your gimmick is to convince people that they are missing something in their life and to have them compare each other to one another so that you can sell your product. And I think subconsciously we do this in our life all over the place. We compare ourselves to what people have and what we don't have and we wish we had that. We even take it one step further and we, we compare ourselves to other Christians. We're like, yeah, we're not that bad off. After all, I know what they're going through. And mine's not that bad. When we should be comparing ourselves to the word of God. Scripture that I have to go along with this is from 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. It says, all scripture is God's breath. All scripture is the breath of God. That is why we call this the word of God. It is useful for teaching us rebuking us, correcting us, and training us in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped to do every good work. What lies are you believing consciously, subconsciously, and what are you measuring up to? Is it the culture and what everybody else says or is it the word of God? Lie number two, the Bible, I hear this from a lot of people outside of my own life, but the Bible is just a set of rules that does nothing but shame me. If you heard the previous message or the previous scripture in 2 Timothy, you know that not to be true. It's there to instruct, teach, correct in righteousness. The scripture that I have to go along with this is from John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, come that you might have life and life to the full. There's several different times I see this and people are like, the Bible is just a set of rules to shame me. And some of those times it's felt because people have used this as a weapon to push their agenda and shame people and what it says. They take this as a weapon and they twist the words. But that's not the first time I've ever seen it. This, this technique is used over and over and over in the Bible by Satan. In Genesis, when we talk about the fall of man, Satan does that very thing. He questions God's word. He twists it. He does the same thing in, in the desert when Satan tempts Jesus. He takes God's word. He twists it. He manipulates it. 
and he uses it for his agenda. He weaponizes it. If you've been someone who has been a victim of shaming as a result of someone weaponizing the Bible, I'm sorry. And if you've done that, stop. There's other reasons why we feel shame. It's because we have sin in our life. We all have sin in our life. But sometimes we're afraid to go here because we know that if we open this book, it'll shed more light on our filth and our sin, and we're not ready for that. And Satan uses that as a weapon to keep us stuck in our sin and stuck from moving forward. Lie number three, Jesus came to give me life. It said it right there, and life to the full. So that means I can do whatever I want. Perfect. After all, if you want to twist the Bible, it says I can do all things through Christ. It gives me strength, so bring it on. I can do whatever I want. That couldn't be further from the truth. If you're pursuing whatever you want, you're pursuing yourself and you're not pursuing Jesus. And that's not a foundation to build your life upon. As the scripture says in uh, Corinthians, I like the way that uh, Paul puts this in 1 Corinthians 6. He's arguing essentially with the culture, the people of Corinth. He's like, yeah, you tell me you can do whatever you want, but I'm telling you not everything is beneficial. There's so many things that we go through in our own lives and in the culture today that just aren't black and white in the Bible. And we make a judgment. And we're like, yeah, we could probably do that. But not everything's beneficial. Well, the Bible doesn't say that I shouldn't eat five boxes of Twinkies. You're right. The Bible doesn't say you shouldn't eat five boxes of Twinkies. But is it beneficial? Think about that. Obviously a silly analogy. But is it beneficial for you, your family, what your family's going through in your life? And he says, sure, the culture says, I can do whatever I want. He warns you, but don't be mastered by anything. This, this idea of getting whatever you want has everything to do with you and nothing to do about Jesus. So who's the master of your life? Is it you or is it Jesus? And if it's you, I know from my own life and the people that have gone through it, you start making up excuses, you start bringing things into your life, and all of a sudden you are mastered by those things. Whether it's the finances, the drugs, the alcohol, the identity. Next lie. Lie number four. This is where I'm gonna camp out for a little while. It's cause I can fix this on my own. When's the last time we got into that trouble? There's multiple uh, scripture references where, I, where it talks about that you shouldn't be doing life all on your own. I've highlighted a couple that just come to the top of my mind. Genesis is a great one where God created Eve. He noticed that it was not good for man to be alone, so he created a helper suitable for him. Uh, when it talks about church, do not forsake the gathering as other people have. Do life, do community together. When it comes to sin, confess your sins with one another. I made up my own Bible verse. It's not in the Bible. It um, comes from First Hesitations 2-2. It's a truthism of mine, and I think it would probably land somewhere at the end of Proverbs, if I were to be honest. You are not a DIY project. So stop it. 
You are not meant, here I go. You are not meant to do this on your own. And for whatever reason, I know why we do it, right? Our culture loves a good do-it-yourself project. We've got TV, uh, TV channels and videos all about do-it-yourself, right? I just did a do-it-yourself project yesterday. Why do we do it? Why do you do do-it-yourself projects? Because you can. That's a good one. I don't have to ask for help. I can do it on my own. I'm independent. I don't, have to, I don't have to pull a permit. I can do it on my time. I can do it on my dime. I could probably do it a lot cheaper. Ever done a project cheaply? You get cheap results. And at the end of it, if it goes well, guess who gets the glory? Me. After all, look what I did. Guest bedrooms are do-it-yourself projects. You are sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. You are not. And I don't know about you, when I go to a do-it-yourself project, I don't go here. I go here. We find whatever excuse we need, we either don't wanna do it on someone else's time or their dime. We do, here's the church way of doing it. I've got stuff in my life and I don't want to bother you with it. Ever heard that one? Right. In a do-it-yourself project, when I'm doing projects, I find myself losing myself for hours in Google, YouTube, figuring out the best ways to do it. What's unfortunate, when our life falls apart and we're checking our foundations and we're trying to rebuild it, you know how many people get lost in this? and not this. What are you building your life on? Now don't get me wrong, this is really helpful. Uh, if you've got a problem with your alternator, you might wanna go to this before you go to this. I'm just saying, that might be wise. Um, but when you're going through life situations, financial, job-related, you're, you're wondering about how to be a better employee, you're wondering about your relationship with your boss, you're wondering about your relationship with self, your spouse, your kids, health. What's your first go-to? Is it this or is it this? This has tons of great information. I use this all the time. Did you know the creators of Google, the name Google actually is a mathematical term that means a a number too great to quantify. You know how I know that? I looked it up on Google, that's right, <laughs> I did. The creators of Google wanted to create a search engine where you could search the internet and it had unlimited resources so you had an avenue too great to quantify to find knowledge. Do you know what the first sin in the Bible was about? twisting God's word, eating a piece of fruit, because after you eat the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. And you will have knowledge of good and evil. First sin, I'm not saying that this is the last one, but if you want to talk about unlimited knowledge at our fingertips, we have it right here. This is full of knowledge, this is full of truth. What are you gonna use? 
This week, I would encourage you, if you would, open up your Bibles, read through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Again, it's found in Matthew 5 through 7 or Luke 6. In your free time, next time you pick this up, I want you to ask yourself, is this something that could be found in here? When have I picked this up when I should have been picking this up? Ask yourself. I have a screen protector on here. It's cracked 13 different ways. I'll probably be getting a new phone on the horizon. But why isn't my cover worn on this? I have a first generation. It has one camera on it. These guys probably have nine cameras on theirs. This is due for replacement. Is this? Is this due for replacement because you've used it so much that it's tattered and torn and it's time for the next edition? Yeah. So I'm almost out of time. Lucky for you, I don't have to go to Ankeny, so you get me for another two hours. There you go. <laughs> I was preparing this message, and oh my goodness, I was like, man, I'm going to run out of time, and I preached a good, what I think are good, applicable things so that we could look at our lives, we we'll look at our foundations, determine what it's truly built on so we know where our weak spots are so we can withstand a storm. These are good things. Open your Bible. Read it for yourself. I want, I want to know how God uses it and speaks to you. But I think we're here for more than just four ways to make sure you have a better life and withstand a storm. I've spoken for almost 30 minutes, and I haven't really even talked about Jesus. What does Jesus want out of this? Towards the end of his message on the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus talking about a wise man building his house on the rock, a foolish man builds his house on the sand. What does Jesus want out of it? He wants obedience. He starts talking, now, a, a, a wise man will listen to what I say and do it. That's the guy whose house is on a firm foundation. The foolish man is a guy who listens and doesn't do it. Jesus wants obedience, and that is such a hard message. If you're, a, if you're an East Sider like me, Maddie and I talked about this earlier, I hate being told what to do. <laughs> Man, that is a tough message. But if I want a house built on a rock, I have to obey God. If you open up to, uh, it's Luke 6's version of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus asks a question that stuck out to me, and I, again, I want you to go home and read this for yourself, see what sticks out to you. Jesus starts off the message saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you're not going to do what I say? Why? Why, why, waste your, why are you calling me Lord if you're not going to do what I say? And that stuck with me. Uh, it stuck me th with me for a while. And then I had a light bulb moment at work. Uh, at work this week, I enjoy what I do. I work in a warehouse. I manage people, and I enjoy the people I work with. I have this guy who works in the very back corner of the warehouse, and every once in a while, he gets stuck in what he's doing. You know, he's doing a project or a task, and he just overthinks it. He can't get himself out of his thoughts and his head. He's just overthinking and second-guessing himself. And you know what this guy does? 
He walks over to his coworker. We'll just call him Timmy. Timmy, here's the situation. What do you think I should do? Timmy stops what he's doing. Well, this is what I think you should do. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think he goes back and does his job? No. Now two of them go and find Susie. Susie, Johnny has a problem. This is what I told him to do. What do you think? Oh, okay, yeah, I've been in that situation before. This is what I think you should do. Perfect. Yeah, 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 that's a good idea. Do you think he goes back to his tasks and does it? No. Now I have three employees walking up to the office. You know why? Because I can watch them through my window. And I was like, what are they? Lord, tell me they're not all going to quit at the same time because I don't want to do this job on my own. No, all three of them walk up to my office. Knock, 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 knock. Boss, 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 what should I do? I don't know what to do. I talked to Tommy or Timmy, and I talked to Sally and Susie, and now I've got three people. What should we do? Boss, 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 what should I do? Okay, here's what I would do. Here's the process. Here's the policy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I get it, I get it, I get it. Do you know what they do? They go back to work and do whatever they want to do. They don't listen to me. And I was like, wait a second. You couldn't get out of your thoughts. You stopped what you were doing. You stopped them what they were doing. You couldn't get out of your thoughts, so you stopped them and what they were doing. You stopped me and what I was doing. I get paid to be the boss. I should tell you what to do. That's what they pay me to do, tell you what to do. And you're just going to go back and do what you want to do? Why are you calling me boss, boss? If you're not going to do what I told you to do, I'm the boss. I have a business card that says it. <laughs> Enter Luke 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? If I'm going to tell you what to do and you're not going to do it, why, why, why waste your breath? We in our culture have a weird way of interpreting and reading the Bible, so I'm going to rephrase it slightly different so it has different teeth and pull to it. Why do you call yourself a disciple of Jesus if you're not going to follow what Jesus said? We in America have prided ourselves for a long time to be a Christian nation. We're no longer that label anymore. But why do you call yourself a Christian nation? Harder yet, why do you call yourself a Christian if you're not going to obey what God said? Essentially exactly what Jesus just said. Why are you calling me Lord, Lord? It's those who listen to me and do what I said who have built their home, their life on a solid rock and foundation. Last story that I pulled from the New Testament was in John. Jesus is preaching to a whole group of disciples. And it was a hard message. And the disciples and he are having a great conversation. They're misunderstanding it and they're asking, am I really understanding this correctly? And Jesus is like, yeah, this is what I mean. But Jesus, Jesus, are you sure about this? This is what I mean. But God, tell me about this. I'm really having a hard time reconciling that. This is what I mean. And when Jesus was done preaching, all the disciples left him, except for 12. The 12 he chose. I'm going to paraphrase here, but Jesus looks around and says essentially, well, 
Everybody left me. What about you 12? You gonna leave me too? And I believe it was Simon Peter who, who turned to Jesus and said, Lord, where else are we gonna go? Who else has the words of life but you? I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up as I conclude. Essentially, Simon Peter is saying, I have no other options. This is my only option. I only have a plan B, or I'm sorry, a plan A. The other disciples that heard Jesus and left, they had a plan B. They had other things on their agenda, other things on their mind, and other, th other things that would satisfy them. So as we go out this week, my prayer is that you will take an honest assessment of your foundation, sorry, and see what the word of God has to say to you. And then as we take an inventory of what's going on or we see what's going on in the lives of the people around us, we are quicker to pick up our Bible than we are our phone and look at it through the lens of Jesus Christ. And it's a hard message, but a wise man who builds his house on a rock is doing it because he's being obedient to God. A wise man who builds his house on a rock has one plan. Plan A, it's Jesus. There is no plan B. So many times we enter a place like this and I know plenty of you in this room who that is, this, that's the case. Jesus is plan A, there is no plan B. But how many times have we believed a lie and plan A is I'm gonna run my life any way I want to and Jesus is my plan B. And when that plan B gets in the way, so does the plan. And I just go back to living any way I want to. I don't want that for you. I'm convicted of it because I don't want it for me. I don't stand up here claiming that I have it all figured out. As you can see, I'm incredibly emotional about it. <laughs> what are you measuring up to? Is it this? Is it the people around you? Or is it Jesus Christ? Friends, I want you to have life and life to the full. But it comes from God, not this world. Can I pray for us?